Well, brothers and sisters, uh, as you know, Epiphany is the last day of the season of Christmas uh, in our church calendar. Uh, our lecture actually gives us the option of celebrating it on the actual day, uh, January the 6th, or on the Sunday before, January the 2nd. Uh, and this year, we're doing it on January the 2nd. Uh, so some of you might want to come to a service on January the 6th, and if that's you, then come to the daily office at 7.30 a.m., and we will mark Epiphany on the actual day then. Uh, others of you will be wondering what Epiphany actually is. And the word Epiphany, as uh, Reverend Con mentioned just now, uh, means a manifestation of something or showing of something. Right? And so when we talk about Epiphany in this context, it's the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles. Uh, it's the time we read and recall the coming of the Magi to Jesus, as we did in our Gospel reading just now. Uh, and these people were from the East. They were Gentiles, not Jews. And when they came to Jesus, the King of the Jews, uh, and bowed before him and offered him gifts, uh, that was an anticipation of the coming of the Gentiles uh, to Israel's king. Uh, and that coming of the Gentiles to Israel's king is anticipated in Psalm 72. Uh, and so Psalm 72 is a psalm that we often read at Epiphany. So I'd like us to take a few moments to consider this psalm together. It's on uh, page 6 of your order of service. Uh, you might want to have it open in front of you. Uh, let me lead us in prayer uh, as we look at it. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you that you have gathered us uh, this morning on site and online around your word. Uh, please speak to us uh, through this psalm uh, and help us uh, to join in the praise of our wonderful King, the Lord Jesus. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Psalm 72 is an ancient prayer for a king, his people, and the extension of his kingdom. The heading of the psalm, you see, it says, of Solomon. Uh, and Solomon was a son of David. Uh, God had promised David. Uh, David was the king of Israel, lived about 1000 BC. God had promised David that he would have the throne and that his dynasty would last forever. And so the psalm is initially about his son, Solomon. But the ultimate son of David, we know, is not Solomon, but Jesus. He's the one who will rule forever on David's throne. And ultimately, this psalm is about him. If you go to the end of the psalm, you see in verse 20, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Right? That's actually a general closure to the whole section of the Psalter. But it does give us a hint that this psalm may have been written by David. Uh, a, a prophetic one that speaks and prays for his son Solomon, but ultimately for his ultimate son, Jesus. Now, in the first four verses of the psalm, the psalmist prays for the king. And the big thing he prays for him is justice and righteousness. Because he knows that under God, the role of the king is to righteously bring justice to his people. Look at verse 1 to 4, 1 and 2. Give your king justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Now, we know what it's like to live in a nation, and indeed in a world, where justice can be perverted at various levels. And it's right to pray for justice in this context. The psalmist prays for justice for Solomon, so that he would bring justice to the nation of Israel. And he prays for righteousness 
that he would truly adhere to God's standards himself. Under God's covenant with Moses, when his people lived in justice and righteousness, they could expect his blessings. And so the psalm continues in verse 3, Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people, and the hills in righteousness. So if Solomon ruled with justice and righteousness, that would bring righteousness and prosperity to the nation. And so David's prayer in verse 4 is that the king would defend the cause of the poor of the people and give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. Friends, even apart from God's special covenant with, uh, with Israel, justice is good for a country, isn't it? Good government must defend the poor and the needy. Otherwise, the rich and the powerful will take advantage of the poor and the needy, and justice for them will be denied. But we know that true and perfect justice will only come through Jesus. When Jesus returns, he will judge the world. Oppressors now will still oppress, but they won't get away with oppressing forever. Scores will eventually be settled. All wrongs will be put right. And this will be done by the only one who can do it properly. The only one who is perfectly righteous himself. Only one who can actually see the human heart and bring true justice. And Jesus will not only judge the world, but he will reign in justice and righteousness forever. And in his kingdom of justice and righteousness, prosperity will truly abound for his people. The psalmist then prays for the people of God under the king in verses 5 to 7. He prays they will always fear God in verse 5. May they fear you while the sun endures, as long as the moon, throughout all generations. He prays that the king would always be a blessing to them. In verse 6, may he be like the rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. He prays for the flourishing of righteousness among God's people in verse 7. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound until the moon is no more. God's people did serve him under Solomon. And there was indeed righteousness, prosperity, and peace. But it wasn't until moons shall wax and wane no more. It wasn't permanent. The real fulfillment is ultimately in Jesus. He is the one who leads us to fear the Lord, to reverently trust him, to live our lives knowing that we are accountable to him. He is the one who blesses us with his presence by the Spirit. He is the one who gives us, his people now, eternal life and will bring us to the new creation. We will live in perfect righteousness, for sin will be no more. And we will live in peace with God and each other, for all relationships will be made right. We will live in the very presence of God with the appropriate and loving fear of him. And that will be forever. The psalmist now turns to pray for the extension of the kingdom that is ruled by this king. Because, you know, it's a bit of a waste having such a wise and righteous king just rule over Israel. He should rule the whole world. And so the prayer continues in verse 8. May he have dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him, his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastland render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations 
serve him. And once again, we know this was fulfilled in a, in a partial way in Solomon's time. He had an empire, and people came from across the known world to pay tribute to him. Uh, the Queen of Sheba, for example, is one of many people who came bringing gifts. But once again, there is a higher fulfillment. When Jesus was born, the Magi from the East came bringing tribute. That's why we observe Epiphany. The precursor to the fact that people from all over the world are now coming to Jesus. And that's us today, isn't it? We bow before him and serve him. We bring our treasures from all over the world and lay them at his feet. And we do that voluntarily. But the day will come when Jesus returns. When even his enemies will bow the knee. As for at his name, every knee shall bow. And every tongue confess that he is Lord. Well, the reason why we voluntarily worship King Jesus is because of his character of love. The, the king that this psalm is praying for is the king who loves his people and helps them. And remember how the king brings justice for the poor and the oppressed? That's not just a duty thing, even though it is his duty. It comes from a heart of love. People from all nations serve this king for, verse 12, for he delivers the needy when he calls, and the poor, and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy, and saves the lives of the needy. For oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is his blood in their sight. Solomon was a king who ruled his people in wisdom. We have on record how he delivered justice for a prostitute, who was a new mom in danger of losing her baby. And I think we can assume that he delivered justice for the poor and the oppressed on many other occasions as well. But what we do know is that Jesus is our king who loves us and cares for us. He has compassion upon us and counts us as precious. We were spiritually poor and had nothing to offer. All we could do was cry for his mercy. We were powerless against sin and Satan and death and hell. Could not do anything to help ourselves. But in his great love, he redeemed us at great cost to himself. In fact, he was willing to die on the cross under the wrath of God to, to pay the penalty of our sins so we could be forgiven. So that we could be saved from the clutches of Satan and become his people. So brothers and sisters, we know he loves us and we are precious to him and that he will continue to take care of us for all eternity. The psalmist once again prays for king and country in verses 15 to 17. Long may he live, this king. May the gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually. Blessings evoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land, and the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. May its people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed by him, and all nations call him blessed. And once again, we see this fulfilled in Solomon's time. Gold from Sheba is brought to him. His people pray for him. God bless his people with abundant blessings. The nations even recognized this, and his name was indeed great. 
And yet, once again, the ultimate fulfillment is in the Lord Jesus. God's people bring their wealth to him every day. We bless him, thanking God for our salvation in him. We enjoy every spiritual blessing in him. We know that his name will last forever and that this will be clearly seen and known and experienced when he returns. And we enjoy the blessings of the new creation under his reign. You know, when God answers the prayer of the psalm for his king, then God will be glorified, isn't it? And so in anticipation of answered prayer, in line with God's promises to the king, the, the psalmist concludes with a note of praise. Verse 18, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever, that the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And indeed, God is glorified as he answers his prayer. He was glorified in ancient Israel. He's ultimately glorified in Jesus. And as people from all over the world come under the reign of Jesus, we bless the name of God who has done such wonderful things and provided such a good king for us. And even today, we join in that praise as we thank God for King Jesus. And we pray that the day will soon come when the whole earth is indeed full of his glory. And so friends, we've seen this psalm in ancient Israel. We've seen it in fulfilled in Jesus for us. So what do we take home from this psalm for our day-to-day -day lives? Well, I suggest four things. First of all, put your hope in Jesus and not in the rulers of the earth. Put your hope in Jesus. We, we, we see from this psalm what good kingship looks like. And we long to live under such government, government that is righteous and wise and perfectly just. And while we strive as good citizens to encourage and promote such values in our society, we know we will never see them properly expressed until King Jesus comes. Even Solomon couldn't do it and fell into sin. How much less the leaders and governments of our world. No matter what party or coalition is in power, you will never get this until Jesus returns. There was a hard lesson for some people a few years ago who assumed a change of government will usher in some utopian kind of society in our nation. But friends, every government, every kingship, in fact, every leadership at every level will end up being a disappointment in some way or other. It will always be like that. Good government is important. Good leadership in, in every context is a blessing. But remember that the real king, God's king, the only one who truly rules in righteousness and justice is Jesus. Secondly, as citizens of the kingdom, let us exemplify the character and priorities of King Jesus in our lives. If our king reigns with justice, then we too must be people who are just. If our king has compassion on the poor and the needy, we must be like that too. If our king defends the weak against oppression, then we should do that when we are in positions of power. Many of us have some measure of power in some kind of sphere or other, whether it's at work or 
in the family or in the church or in the community. Even having money in your bank account is a form of power, isn't it? How do you use the power that's entrusted to you? You use it in a righteous way? You act justly? Where responsibilities lie with you, do you, do you defend those who have less power from being taken advantage of? Are you willing to sacrifice to help those who need your help? If you're in the workplace, will you stand up for people who are being scapegoated because they are further down the corporate ladder? Or will you join in blaming them to make yourself look good to your own bosses? If you're one of the more popular students at school, will you just let some of the less popular ones get bullied? Or will you use your position of influence to help them? If you employ migrant workers, will you act justly towards them, even when others seem to just think they're labor to exploit? You don't need to watch Spider-Man to know that with great power comes great responsibility. Power and responsibility go together. As we seek to grow more like Jesus, let us learn to be like him in the way he uses his power. Thirdly, pray and work for the growth of the kingdom. The psalmist leads us to pray over and over again that the nations would bring their tribute to the king. In our prayers, let's keep, the, let, let, let's keep praying that the gospel of, of our king keeps going out to the nations and that they would turn to worship and serve him. Of course, when we look around to each other, then we realize most of us are not ethnic Jews either, right? So actually, we are the nations. And our presence here to, to worship the king is part of God's answer to the prayer of this psalm. But there are more nations to be reached. There are still more people and more tribes and more ethnic groups among whom the king is not worshipped. Let's pray that they will bring him his rightful dues as well. And let's do our bit to see that they are reached. I'm thankful to God that our diocese has Orang Asli work. That's, that's part of reaching the nations. A meeting from our church is, is training to translate the Bible into one of the many sign languages in different parts of the world. That's, that's part of reaching the nations. Some of our members are seeking to disciple international students so they can take the gospel back to their own country. It's part of reaching the nations. We put effort and funding each year into Nepali ministry so that Nepali workers can be contacted, evangelized, established, nurtured, trained, sent back to Nepal to serve. It's part of reaching the nations. Continue to pray and work and give so that more and more nations and people bring their tribute to the king who loves them. And finally, brothers and sisters, Join in the praise. Because in the end, this psalm is not here so much to instruct us as to help us praise our God and King. So echo this psalm in light of God's promises in Christ as you join in that praise. Bless God for what he has done for us in King Jesus and what he will do for us in the future. Pray that his name would be hallowed, his kingdom would come, his will would be done. And that the whole world will know what a great...
great and glorious and loving and faithful God he is. That he has shown us his goodness in giving us our wonderful king, the very bestest king there could ever be. So let me end by reading this psalm again, transposed to the Messianic key in a 19th century hymn. If you want to follow the words of it, they're found on page 23 of your order of service. And as you hear me read it, exalt the king in your heart. Hail to the Lord's anointed, great David's greater son. Hail in the time appointed, his reign on earth begun. He comes to break oppression, to set the captives free, to take away transgression and rule in equity. He comes with succor speedy to those who suffer wrong, to help the poor and needy and bid the weak be strong, to give them songs for sighing, their darkness turned to light, whose souls condemned and dying were precious in his sight. He shall come down like showers upon the fruitful earth, and love, joy, hope like flowers spring in his path to birth. Before him on the mountains shall peace the herald go, and righteousness in fountains from hill to valley flow. Arabia's desert ranger to him shall bow the knee, the Ethiopian stranger his glory come to see. With offerings of devotion, ships from the isles shall meet to pour the wealth of oceans in tribute at his feet. Kings shall bow down before him, and gold and incense bring. All nations shall adore him, his praise all people sing. To him shall prayer ascending and daily vows ascend, his kingdom still increasing, a kingdom without end. Of every foe victorious, he on his throne shall rest. From age to age more glorious, all blessing and all blessed. The tide of time shall never his covenant remove. His name shall stand forever, his changeless name of love. Amen. Glory to our King.